It's the First Amendment, broadband style. It's a safe, well-engineered, perfectly designed machine. TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio. InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. It sounds hard to believe. Were today's diseases a secret weapon that once helped mankind survive? InfoTrack's Taryn McCall talks with a medical doctor to get the facts. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Can devastating genetic diseases actually have ensured our survival? Our guest today on InfoTrack thinks so. Dr. Sharon Mo'alam of New York's Mount Sinai School of Medicine is co-author of Survival of the Sickest, The Surprising Connections Between Disease and Longevity. His research into disease and genetics may turn a few long-held notions upside down. You posit that some of the genetic diseases we think of as debilitating, at least to the individual, diseases like sickle cell anemia and diabetes, actually allowed our ancestors to survive and pass their genes down to us. Talk a little about that theory. We typically think of disease as something negative and we want to declare war on it and get rid of it, but I'm kind of offering this new way of looking at it. You mentioned sickle cell anemia being protective against, say, malaria. That was always considered as the exception when it came to diseases, but what I'm saying really here, this is the rule, that most common diseases actually gave us, you know, our ancestors something to survive and even something for us today to keep going. And a good example of that is there's a gene called ApoE4, and if you have this, it puts you at risk for Alzheimer's disease. If your ancestors came from Europe and Northern Europe, you're at much more risk for having this gene and getting Alzheimer's. And for very long, no one knew what possible benefits you can have from this gene because this gene gives you also high cholesterol. So it seems like, you know, almost a double whammy, something you really don't want to have. But if you come from that part of the world, your ancestors do, you develop the ability to make vitamin D when there's not enough sunlight. So all that extra cholesterol in that blood, instead of making you sick, what it was used for was to be able to convert into vitamin D with whatever sun was available. And even today, if you look at certain groups of people, African-Americans who live in the northeastern United States, they're more at risk of prostate cancer than their cousins in Florida, and it all has to do with not getting enough sun. And even if they have more cholesterol in their blood, it's not going to really help them. And most doctors don't even know that cholesterol levels are seasonal. We actually have high levels of cholesterol naturally in the winter than we do in the summer. So if you're getting your cholesterol levels checked, you should get it done in two separate seasons. So it'll give your physician a better idea of what's going on in your body. You write that life, all life, is in a constant state of evolution. But shouldn't natural selection actually help rid us of those harmful genetic traits? What served our ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago probably doesn't serve us as well today, given our change in lifestyles. You know, it's a great point, and that's what kind of sparked the book was, if evolution's working, then shouldn't be selecting and weeding out all these, you know, nasty illnesses. But I think the key here is that if the environment's not changing, then that can work, but if the environment is also constantly changing, and new diseases are coming on the scene. It's impossible to ever be completely fit. So the whole survival of the fittest notion that there is this pinnacle of fitness, of perfection, is not possible with the environment keeps changing and new diseases such as, take for example, HIV AIDS. There's a certain group of people who have a gene, who, if you have this, it gives some type of resistance to getting the virus in full-blown AIDS. Now, unfortunately, you don't find people with this gene in Asia or China, you find them in Europe. So what you would see is if as HIV keeps taking more and more victims, eventually there might be these genes that will crop up that will allow people to survive. But again, it may come at a cost. 
because there is this constant evolutionary balance going on. So I really view diseases as some type of complicated blessing that may have allowed you know, our ancestors and even us to keep going, keep living. Are certain diseases wired into our genetic code? I'd also read that cancer may actually be a default condition, disease, that if one lives long enough, they'll get cancer in some form or other. Yeah, well, if you think of the basis of cancer, which is really cells gone wild, these cells just keep dividing uncontrollably, I guess in a small dose, we need that constantly to keep living because many cells in our body are overturning and being replaced. And, you know, if you get a cut on your skin, then having the ability to replicate, to get new skin cells there to kind of fill up that cut, that's protective. It's when that kind of protective mechanism, when that's lost, and cells kind of go off on their own, these rogue cells that eventually then become cancerous. But having the ability to regenerate is what keeps us alive initially. So again, like you mentioned, the longer you live, you're more at risk for something going wrong in one of these systems. And your path to the field of neurogenetics came from personal family history of an illness that you found links to Alzheimer's. Can you talk about that a little? Sure. When I was 15, my grandfather came down with Alzheimer's, and I was really close to him and wanted to help out as a precocious 15-year-old and asked some basic questions. I knew he always loved to give blood. He told me and everyone else in the family it made him feel better, which didn't make much sense because, you know, you're giving up something that life depends on. But when I looked at it and asked some deeper questions, I found that giving blood, you're giving away iron. And I asked, could it be that his body had too much iron? And it turns out he probably had this condition, hemochromatosis, where his body was just absorbing too much iron from the diet. It was going into his organs and causing, you know, organ problems and failure. And he was treating it unknowingly by giving blood. At the time, it was thought to be very rare, but it turns out more than a million Americans might be at risk for this condition. And that a lot of the bacteria and microbes that live within our own bodies are also dependent on iron, correct? Yeah, and I mean, most of life actually is out there, is dependent on iron, and most bacteria that actually, or even yeast or fungi that infect us are actually mining us for our iron in a way. It's very difficult to find bioavailable iron on the planet, even though iron is very common. It's usually found in the rusted form because there's so much oxygen in the atmosphere. So for microorganisms, they really see us as this big bag of bioavailable iron that they want to kind of mine. Actually, that's the first thing our body does when it feels kind of sick or any kind of illness coming on. It goes into a lockdown mode and tries to hide this iron to make it less available by producing these proteins that kind of pull the iron out of the system. What role does food have with disease? Is there any benefit to sticking with an organic diet? Well, for many types of foods, you know, of course, if you have finances and you can afford it, organic is a great option. But, you know, many people don't realize that food kind of has to fight predators as well. Plants can't just pick up and run away. They don't have legs to do that. So what they do, they're really good at chemical warfare. Plants produce these poisonous compounds to keep insects at bay. And one plant in particular, celery, produces this poison called sorlin. And it does this to keep insects from chewing on it. And if insects do eat it, Sorlin gets activated through sunlight, and that way it kills insects. But if people eat a lot of organic celery that has the sorlin, and then they, they're exposed to a lot of sunlight, they can actually get a type of dermatitis. It actually gets some type of massive kind of skin reaction just from an organic celery. We've been talking with Dr. Sharon Malam, co-author of Survival of the Sickest, The Surprising Connections Between Disease and Longevity. Is there a website listeners can visit for more information? Yes, there is, and it's the title of the book, Survival of the Sickest, thebook.com. Thank you so much for being with us today on InfoTrack. Thanks for having me. I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack.
You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.